0: You're listening to Rock Bottom Radio, broadcasting from deep in the turf net zone. Here's your host, Randy Wilson. The following is an excerpt from The Greens of Wrath by Randy Wilson. It's the summer of 1971 on Burnt Run Country Club. The birth of Golf Zero. The tale of the Gulf Zero began one hot summer day, while Walker and I shoveled white sand into a bunker with the occasional assistance of two hippie freaks, Mick and Bubby. Mick was a reefer dealer, and Bubby played bass in the Iron Sofa, a local hard rock band. Mick and Bubby were useless as breasts on a motor, and Walker was furious at the meager amount of work they were avoiding while we moved massive piles of sand. Mick and Bubby whispered, smoked reefer, and generally made it known that we were the underlings and required by law to shovel the most bunker sand. I accepted it as a law of nature. Hippies were lazy, and they were much older than we were, in addition to the part where they were clearly part of the Manson family. Walker, during a break where we drank iced water and they smoked reefer, explained that retaliation and retribution was in order. They make us do all the work, and they get three times as much money as we do. So what if they get two hundred fifty an hour? I sparked up a little. I don't get anything unless I water at night. Walker guzzled half a canteen of icy water and poured the rest over his face. We gotta do something. Telling Dad was out of the question as he was in a cold mood. He had recently come to the realization he would probably never get out on the big tour, even though he had recently won the Tennessee PGA sectional with a final round 63 at Jackson Country Club. Walker was about to invite a whole new series of problems involving Nortur, our nickname for Dad, So I tried to deflect his anger by discussing traditional non-life-threatening measures like stink bombs in Buddy's hippie freak van or dog doo-doo on Mick's bright yellow pinto windshield wipers. Yidnar was nowhere to be found and I was afraid to rely on my vengeance methods so Walker had the upper hand. Late that afternoon as Walker and I were almost through filling the bunker Mick and Bubby suddenly sprang into action and started shoveling like something was after them. A few moments later Dad drove up, pleased to see them working so hard. He offered a few words of encouragement and then told us we would do well to adopt the hard work ethic displayed by Bubby and Mick. Walker's face darkened and I could hear his teeth grinding. As Dad eased into his truck and prepared to leave, Bubby stepped out of the bunker as if for the first time all day. Boss, I was thinking about maybe, you know, volunteering to do the night watering during the big tournament this weekend. What do you think? Dad grinned. Sure, Bubby, that'd be great. You ever watered at night? There's no houses around. We're way out in the country and it's dark as hell out here. Pretty spooky work. Whatever I can do to help out, boss. Bubby scraped and bowed. Mick stared open mouthed, and my temper flared up white hot. I'm the night water man, Dad, especially during tournaments. I was angry at losing the high pay of the night waterman, a position I had performed at two previous courses and occasionally for Uncle Whip. You can't just learn it in a few days. Bubby's a grown man. I'd rather have him out there. This is an important tournament. Walker's face froze in a scowl. Bubby sneered at me and Mick just shook his head as Dad drove away. What are you thinking, dude? Mick said as he threw his shovel down. What? Bubby laughed and strutted back into the bunker. They lowered their voices and turned away from us. Years of loud, live rock music and lectures from girlfriends and wives had dulled their ears, and they mistakenly assumed that our ears were equally deadened, even though they thought they were whispering. Bubby and Mick were actually speaking in tones easily audible to 16-year-old eardrums. We heard everything while pretending not to eavesdrop, you know, by staring into the white sand. It's gonna be cosmic. I've got two hits of purple haze. We can trip out here in nature all night. Are you kidding me, man? Mick barked in what he thought was a whisper, but was actually a muffled yell. It's scary as hell out here at night. Stuff moving around, all kinds of animals and and tripping. No way, man, no way. Hey, listen, you know they leave the beer tubs out all night, Bubby said. We can have all the cold beer we want right around on the Cushman. Look at the stars and groove, man, groove with the planet. Bubby was waving his hands and drifting away right before our eyes. Walker turned his head slightly and looked at me with the most evil grin I had ever seen on a human. Slowly, his hand went to his mouth and signaled for quiet. Moments later, when Bubby and Mick broke for reefer time, Walker motioned for me to follow him over in the shade. Bubby wants to be one with nature to experience cosmic vibrations. I think we should help him. Cosmic my butt, I muttered, still fuming about losing my Night Waterman bonus. It was midnight, just seven hours until the biggest tournament of the year for the members and guests of Burnt Run Country Club, and out there somewhere in the darkness was our target, our prey, the hapless and unsuspecting Bubby the Hippie Freak bass player turned Night Waterman. We could hear his cushman as he occasionally crested a hill or cranked it up after changing quick-coupler sprinkler heads further down a fairway. Once, Bobby came close enough that we could hear the big quick-coupler impact sprinklers rattling around in the bed of the Cushman and his irritatingly happy, tone-deaf voice singing Led Zeppelin's immigrant song. We waited in ambush high above the heavily-laden beer tubs in the valley on Number 2T. Walker checked his equipment. A pair of Army L-angle flashlights taped together at the base and mounted upon a telescoping ball retriever. New batteries in place and red lens filters affixed, Walker nodded in the pitch black of the new moon and whispered, "'Okay, it won't be long now. He'll be showing up to drink beer any minute.' I fiddled with the portable lectern public address system in my lap and shivered nervously. "'Well, what if he's not thirsty? What if he's carrying around thirty-five beers in his Cushman? What if he took both hits of Purple Haze and he tries to murder us with a big curvy knife? What if my aunt had balls? She'd be my uncle. Now shut up, Willie, and listen.' Within minutes, we picked up the sickly headlight on the Cushman as it bounced over a hill on number five and passed right on by the barn. He was definitely headed for the beer treasure. The light weakly guided him down number four and into the valley of number two. I thought you fixed that headlight so it wouldn't work, I hissed, trying to hold my breath between sentences. I did, Walker replied harshly. I just weakened the wiring. We didn't need it to be completely broke. Then he'd bring some big-ass flashlight out here. Oh, I muttered as Bubby came into view near number two green. The Cushman rattled and shimmied down the broken asphalt cart path until Bubby stopped near the long rectangular beer tub alongside the tee. The tubs were provided by the Coca-Cola bottler in Jackson and we provided the ice, but the beer was part of a sponsorship deal with the funeral home in Henderson. The Cushman engine died and the quiet slowly took over as the noise echoed away. Bubby's lighter flamed and we could see his face for a second as he pulled hard on his Marlboro. The cigarette rose and levitated toward the beer tub. We heard the sound of ice moving around and the glow of the Marlboro returned to the driver's side of the Cushman. The sound of a church key tearing into the thin steel of a 1971 beer can came next, followed by slurping and a long, satisfied, Ah! Walker poked me in the shoulder. Do it! whispered. I flicked on the power switch and waited for the tubes to warm, pulled the gooseneck microphone close to my lips, and covered the mic with both hands to form a hasty echo overdrive unit, and I did my best dinosaur Godzilla roar. The roar was unexpectedly loud and spooky and powerful. It even scared us. The sound echoed over all the nearby meadows and forests, sounding as if it traveled for miles and then back to the little hollow where Bubby existed in his little cloud of hallucinogenic darkness. We were not prepared for the chilling horror of the sound tearing apart the softness of that black night. Many times since in my life I have thought back on that moment. If we were unprepared for the effect of Golf Zero roaring on a dark golf course way out in the sticks... How unprepared was Bubby after ingesting two hits of purple haze? What did it sound like to him? If LSD could make a mere gate closing escalate into a factory door slamming or turn a car horn in the distance into an air raid siren, what did Bubby hear? What did he hear? Did he see anything? Did his acid-soaked brain conjure up something to accompany the horrible roar? It was months later before I heard Bubby's account. To a girl he was dating at the time. Apparently, Bubby was watching the giant ice-filled cooler sizzle and pop and melt all over the cart path when the cooler began to stretch out, gaining length. Fascinated, Bubby heard the cartoonish sound effects of rubber pulled to the limit and then he noticed the Coca-Cola sign had begun to quiver. Bubby thought about unplugging the cooler but didn't see any wires, so he had decided to go someplace calmer when the little figure on the Coke sign spoke to him. Bubby, Bubby, are you greasy? Upon closer examination, Bubby realized the little figure was sort of a sprightly little character wearing a Coke bottle cap as a hat. The voice had been slightly out of phase, like a rotating speaker in a leslie organ, and the little rascal was waiting for an answer. No, Bubby replied quietly, "I'm not greasy, but my heart is beating kind of fast, and my stomach is cramping. Maybe I need more beer. I think you're greasy, Coke bottle cap fellow said. Louder this time. You need to take a bath. Scrub your filthy body, shave your face, get some nice clothes, and go to church. Church? I don't like church, little dude. You know what you should do, Curtis. Baby flinched as nobody had called him Curtis since his grandmother died. What should I do? Quit fooling around with this golf stuff, Curtis. Play your bass. Join a good band. You're right, little dude. I was seeking a sign in this. You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. The little dude faded away just as the unmistakable hum of an amp powering up filled the air. We tried not to giggle, but it was overpowering. The urge, the need to laugh like hell at what we'd just done to Bubby was undeniable. We heard the unmistakable sound of a nearly full steel beer can striking a cart path. Staring intently into the darkness near the tee, guided only by the glow of a Marlboro, apparently clamped tightly in a nightwater man's teeth, we noticed the brightness of the cigarette rising and falling at high speed. Bubby was hotboxing that Marlboro like a locomotive puffing, straining to get moving and probably hearing his own breathing amplified times fifty. Maybe he was listening to a dragon breathing in the bushes, perhaps even a minotaur. Walker whispered, Do it again, louder. I cut my hands and attempted to win an Oscar for special sound effects. I turned it to eleven, bellowed into the mic and performed at the decibel level of Kate Smith. This time, the echo carried twice as far, lasted twice as long, and rolled over Hill and Dale, again coming close to voiding my bladder into my jeans. The Marlboro fell from Bubby's lips. Walker, paralyzed by the length of the echo, suddenly remembered his part and quickly turned on the flashlights, extended the ball retriever out to about ten feet, and made the two red eyes appear as if they were peering around a tree. A clearly audible moan escaped from Bubby. He crawled over the passenger side of the Cushman and ran into the beer tubs before running in tiny circles, the only sound that of a child whimpering. Suddenly, he jumped back into the Cushman and we heard the machine try to crank. It took several attempts for the ignition to work. Bobby accompanied his efforts with pleading, the kind that reminds one of suddenly religious former atheists on the battlefield. They aren't very smooth and experienced, but they are certainly devout at that moment. Please, Crank. Come on, please, please, please. Walker, in an inspired moment of improvisation, began to walk the red eyes toward Bubby. (coughs) Bubby screamed like a woman being gruesomely murdered in a horror film, just as the Cushman cranked into life. He U-turned it hard and roared off down the fairway. Walker ran back to our golf cart, his face flushed with victory. Illuminated by the red glow of dinosaur eyes, he jumped in and aimed the cart toward four greens. We have to cut him off at number four. He'll try to escape to the barn. Cut him off at the pass, I replied, beginning to see the tactic Walker had chosen. Bubby came tearing up the hill right into our ambush point, and the roaring and the red eyes began again. Another one is another one. The Cushman fishtailed backed down into the valley, narrow missing trees, slalom racing like a ski racer. It was at this point that our lack of training and preparation began to show, for I was now incapacitated by hysterical laughter, the kind where opening the eyes to see is impossible. Unfortunately for our mission, Walker was in similar straits. So there we were racing back to the original ambush point, the only other way out of the valley, to destroy Bubby's mind once and for all, and we were blind, not philosophically blind, actually unseeing, fetal position, laughter blind while hurtling through trees like escaped mental patients. Walker ran over a stump, one of the stumps I had missed with the dynamite. The cart flew upward and so did I, losing my grip on the PA as I flew through the air. I slammed into the ground and rolled into a tree. The PA vanished into the blackness. We had to use the monster's red eyes to find the PA and reassemble it in a panic. We jumped back into the cart to cut Bubby off, but the machine was helplessly suspended on the stump and it just spun around in a circle. As we wrestled the cart off the stump, we were forced to watch Bubby drive by at high speed, blubbering and crying like a schoolgirl running from Dracula, or a nun. Bubby shrieked and cussed and argued with invisible forces, screeched into the parking lot, jumped into his van, and burned off what little rubber remained on his ball tires. I stood up. You know what I just realized? What? We should have waited until Bubby finished watering. Now we have to do it. The next day was traumatic. Dad was flipped out because the portable PA system he needed to announce tea times was broken. Somehow he deduced that his idiot son and his idiot son's idiot buddy Walker were involved in the non-functionality of the device. When Nortur the Angry stopped hollering, we set about soldering and rewiring and managed to return the PA to service. As Nortur the Unbalanced announced the last of the tea times, Walker and I tenderly took the wounded device into the bag room and put it right. We were proudly showing it to Nortur the Hostile, expecting peace to return to the kingdom, when Bubby barged in, all sweaty and flustered and red-eyed and breathing like he'd just run up ten flights of stairs. Norm! Bubby pounded his fist on Dad's desk. I quit! In the middle of a tournament! Norter the Blonde was beginning the semi-permanent transformation from golf pro to raging paratrooper, a fairly impressive sight for those of us still younger than twenty. Yeah, right now, Bubby shouted. We thought about warning Bubby not to shout and pound Dad's death during his transformation phase, but we decided against it as the entertainment value was enormous, and it wasn't us catching the coming load of flaming verbal army sergeant vitriol. What is your problem, you worthless, sorry, nutless sack of long-haired hippie? Nor to her, the Viking's voice dropped to the guttural grinding tone that he used when he was way past pissed off, headed toward a white-hot explosion. That tone often reminded me of a razor blade on glass. It had such an edge to it that to remain in the vicinity was worse than stupid. Bubby didn't back up and run. It was then that we knew Golf Zero had done permanent damage to Bubby's central nervous system and his instinct for self-preservation. Norm, Bubby lowered his voice and leaned across the desk toward Dad, soon to utter words that would remain in Wilson golf lore for decades. Norm, I you not. there's a monster out there, and I swear on a stack of Bibles that I'll never, ever no more step foot on the golf course again. Do you hear me? Dad was to hear those words several more times before he got rid of me. Bubby, Nortur stared hard at the nervous hippie. I thought you were an atheist. Well, I ain't now, and I ain't never going back out there again, even in the daytime, so just give me my check. Come back on Monday, Bubby, and I'll have your check. But just one thing, just tell me one thing. What kind of dope were you hopped up on out there last night? Bubby rose up to his full height, clenched his jaw. Norm, I guess it don't make no difference what I tell you, but you hear me right now and you hear me good. There's a big-ass red-eyed monster out there, and it's fast as hell, and it almost got me. And the only thing that saved me was the great spirit intervened, or or it would have got me. With that loud and impassioned outburst, Bubby turned and stormed out the door. Dad slowly, ever so slowly, turned his hard gaze on us for several seconds. His eyes moved down to the PA, cradled into our arms, and then back to us. I hope you two yahoos put enough water on the back nine greens last night. You've been listening to Rock Bottom Radio, broadcasting from deep in the turf net zone. Subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for future episodes.